Thank you, Chris. Thank you, all of you, Stephanie and Brian and team back there. Uh, you come between me and these people, so uh, blessings on you as you do that. Um, I had so many comments to make about last night, but uh, better ones have been made already. So I, uh, I'll just stick with uh, Ask Willie to show you the video of Nancy dancing. That's the only one I'm going <laughs> to. That's the only one I'm going to say anything about. Uh, but that was that was uh, pretty amazing. I was sitting at the next table, and it was, it was okay, anyway. Um, <clears throat> I appreciated the report last week from the pastoral search team. Um, I've been on the, the other side of that search a few times in my life, and I've also helped some churches as they do the search, and I know it can be a stressful time. Uh, uncertainty can lead to conflict and separation, and um, people leave the church, some well, because we wanted that pastor to stay, or others because I've heard of churches that have had separations over whether or not they're going to wear masks or required to wear masks, and so churches have separated over that. Or uh, to separate, you won't believe this, but some churches have separated over the choice of music in a church. Uh, you are so blessed with the ministry that Chris and, and his team um, bring every Sunday, and I appreciate very much what they do. So every time of change is an opportunity to divide, and the question is, which which way is the church going to go? Which way is Grace Evangelical Free Church going to go during this time? So I, I urge you to, to pray for that search, pray for the new pastor, but also pray for God to bring about unity. Uh, which you may have picked up is the theme of the book of Philippians. You may have picked that up already. For God to complete his work and to put Grace Evangelical Free Church in the place to glorify God and to advance the gospel. So we're looking at Philippians this morning. We're going to be in chapter 2 beginning at verse 12, but I want to do a brief review. <laughs> you will all recall my sermons, I'm sure, uh, where... Uh, you all remember what they were. Philippians 1, 1 to 11 was uh, unity involves everyone. We saw five times in those eight verses that you all is there. I'm talking about you all, wherever you sit, it's you all. Even if you're watching online, it's you all. And then the prayer, when Paul prays that your love will abound with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. Oh Lord, give us that as a church. Second message, 1, 12 through 30. Events could discourage Paul or could discourage the church in Philippi. And so some people were trying to make Paul jealous by preaching the gospel. And Paul says, that's okay with me, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in that I rejoice. If they want to preach more because I'm in jail, go for it. You know, preach the gospel. Uh, verse 27, he calls on them, only let your manner of life Put on the seesaw. Be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then last week, as we saw chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, Paul's call for humility. Uh, verses 3 and 4, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then we saw that Paul calls on Jesus as a model of humility 
another verse that would fit that as well. 2 Corinthians 8-9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor so that you by His poverty might become rich. So that leads into chapter 2, verse 12. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for. Salvation is a free gift. God gives it to us through Jesus Christ. But if that salvation is inside of you, Make sure that it works out. Make sure that it shows up as Jesus. And then he uses this phrase, with fear and trembling. I don't know how often, how frequently we do, but I think we need to do it more frequently to realize that we live our lives before a holy God. A holy God uh, that who wants us to do right and that One day, we're going to stand before Jesus. Now, we have confidence because of what Christ has done for us, but just to meditate on the holiness of God and and the fact that we're only there by God's grace. We're only there when we stand before Jesus. So, I want, with fear and trembling, I want to do His will, not mine. I want to submit my will to God because submitting my will to God brings humility. God worked His purpose, His best for Jesus. And uh do you ever feel like you're not up to that? Anybody ever feel like, I don't know if I can do that? Well, then God works in us. God, God works in us to will and to do, to act according to His good purpose. To give us the power to do God's will, but also to give us the want to do God's will. And that's that's a challenge. Uh, the Old Testament, I was just reading in my devotions this week in Exodus, they they built the tent. God gave them the will and the skill. That was in, in the notes that I was reading. The will and the skill, I like that. God gave the will and the skill to build what he called for. And he does that by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and among us as the community. Now, that should encourage us in our walk with Jesus no matter what's going on. But I want to take a few minutes and develop this verse a little bit more because I've found that verse 13 has been a great help to me in times of temptation. The gospel of Jesus is that we are to believe in Jesus and be saved. But it is also believe in Jesus and be changed. Not, I want to change, and so therefore I'm going to change. And, you know, we went through over a month ago the New Year's resolutions, and and uh, we all said, some of us said, I'm going to change this this year. And I don't know about you, but those New Year's resolutions last through New Year's Day sometimes. Uh, they often don't last much beyond that. But the Holy Spirit... Picture it as, remember the seesaw, the the teeter-totter that was so dangerous if the guy on the other end decided to get off at the last minute? Well, put that, okay, here we are, and we're struggling with our temptation. Our temptation is is pride, and and that it's just about balance. And then onto one side, onto our side comes the Holy Spirit. What does that do to 
to the teeter-totter. Boom. The Holy Spirit changes the equation completely. So the root of temptation is pride. No matter what our sin is, it begins with pride. And that's the opposite of humility. You remember Eve in Genesis chapter 3? What she was saying was, I believe I know better what's good for me than what God does. I believe me. That's the pride. And that's what led to the giving in to the temptation. I want to give you several other examples. We work out our salvation, but God works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. One of the things that I think it's important for us to pray regularly is pray, Lord, I want to want to want to change. Um, maybe I don't really. The, the truth is sometimes we don't, we don't want to change. Sometimes we, we like kind of what we like what feels good for us, and so we want to stay in that. But we need to pray that, Lord, I want to change. And so one of the ways that I thought of it is with food. Think about a food that you don't like. Now, I pick broccoli. Uh, you know, I mean, some people like broccoli. You pick Brussels sprouts. You pick liver and onions. You pick whatever you don't like, okay? Imagine what you don't like, and you say, Lord, I want you to make me think of pride. Every time there's pride comes into my mind, I want to think of it like Brussels sprouts. I want to think of it like broccoli. And every time righteousness comes into my mind, I want to think of it like lint chocolate. I have chocolate truffles. I mean, I think, is there any taste as good as lint chocolate truffles? So if we, if we just get our tastes to change, that would be one of the ways to ask God, Lord, change my taste. Taste what tastes good. Change what tastes good to me. Romans chapter 7, Paul describes temptation and he says, what I don't want to do, that's what I do. And what I want to do, that's what I don't do. Somebody described it as temptation is like two dogs fighting. Which one's going to win? The one you feed. The one you feed by the Word of God. Martin Luther said that to break any commandment, any of the commandments means we break the first commandment before you shall have no other gods before me. We we break the other commandments when we decide that some other God is going to be God for us. And he also described it as, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep a bird from building a nest in your hair. So temptation is not something we can avoid, but it's something we don't need to meditate on to think about. Let it, let it grow in our minds. I have pictured from the book of Ecclesiastes, temptation is like two vats that have hoses come out of them, and we have the control, the button that controls. This vat is the the role uh, is the feeling of pleasure. This feels good. And this is in my control. Every time I push the button, I can feel pleasure. And we know what brings us pleasure, whether it's eating lint, truffle, chocolate, truffles, or, or whatever it is. We know what gives us pleasure. The other vat is satisfaction. And God has his hand on the vat of satisfaction, on the control for that. And when we only push pleasure and we don't do it in a way that's pleasing to God, we get, what was the, the song from the, uh, was it the Rolling Stones? You can't get no satisfaction. There is no satisfaction. It just does not satisfy to get pleasure, but to get it in a way that is apart from the way that God wants us to get it. That, does that sound familiar? It sounds like, um, I'm, I'm sorry, it helps us to do right and to want to do right by putting the Holy Spirit on that on that seesaw. And then, my final illustration is the superhero stories. 
those superhero stories always have a villain that the humans cannot defeat, right? They need the outside help. They need somebody from outside, somebody with beyond human abilities in order to be able to defeat that villain. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like the gospel? I give my son credit for this one. He put a whole bunch of things together. He's, he's taught a workshop on this, and it's amazing. But the cartoon characters, the superheroes, this is the way it is. The villain is Satan and sin and the world, and we don't have a chance against them. But the hero is... The answer is always Jesus. Okay, it's always Jesus. The hero is... The hero is Jesus. We don't have a chance against them by ourselves in our own strength. The hero has to come from the outside to save us. The story of David and Goliath, so many times when that's preached or taught, it's said that we're David. We're not David. David's the hero. We're the nation of Israel. We're the ones who are scared to death of the army and, and Goliath. We need the hero that God provides, David, who came in to be able to, to save us. So the Christian life is like the gospel. I cannot save myself. I need someone from the outside. I need a savior. I cannot live a holy life. I cannot live a life that's pleasing to God. I need you, Lord Jesus. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need somebody outside of me. Help me. So this work out your, your own salvation might feel like hard work. Verse 14. Let me read now verses 14 through 18. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Boy, there's, there's a command, isn't it? Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Do all things without grumbling or questioning so that you may become blameless and pure. Verses 14 to 18 reinforce the link between the gospel and our conduct. You are to shine like stars. You do shine like stars in the universe as you hold to the word of life is the way the ESV translates it. But the goal of change in our behavior and attitude is to change us towards humility, to continue to be a witness. So, the best way to be a witness is to live, live life without grumbling or questioning. Like Israel coming out of, the, out, of the, out of Egypt, the grumbling and questioning. Again, I've, I've just been reading the book of Exodus, and we could call them the grumbleites instead of the Israelites. But, uh, but the NIV talks about it as to hold out the word of life. The ESV says hold to the word of life. I think it fits the context better to go with the NIV that we're to hold out the word of life because then he talks about that we're to shine like stars. We shine because we received the light Jesus and we are the light of the world in the verse that, uh, that Chris had us read from Matthew chapter 5. The brightest star in the daytime is what? This isn't a trivia question. Okay, this, this is just, okay, this is just... Uh, so come on, table one, uh, give me the answer. What's the brightest star? The sun, the sun in the daytime. It's so bright that you can't see any of the other stars. But I've been in Kentucky and in other places where it's when on a really dark, clear night, you can just see all of the stars that are up in the, in the empty, dark sky. We are to be like that. 
We are lights. We live in a dark world. And we are to live it by humility. Humility of moral purity contrasted with the pollution of the culture, the crooked and twisted generation. We are to live patience instead of anxious. We'll get to that in chapter 4. Patience because we trust God. We're to have peace and not be nervous about the events that are going on around us. Do you, can you see how that would stand out in our culture? If we lived with patience and peace instead of the way that the world lives? Do we shine in those times or are we cloud cover of grumbling and questioning to shine for Jesus until he returns? So God keeps us humble so that our light can show him. To reflect his light. We aren't the light. He's the light and we are to reflect him like the moon instead of the sun. And then Paul models humility by referring to himself as an unimportant addition to. He says, the goal is not what happens to me. The goal is what happens, the, 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 uh, the sacrificial offering of your faith. As great as the Apostle Paul was as an apostle, he calls himself a servant. And he illustrates it in verse 17. He says, I'm going to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. The Old Testament law gave a provision that when a sacrifice was made, the animal was made, there would also be a drink offering of wine that would be put on it. And there was a certain amount that was to go with different offerings. The main offering is Christ. The drink offering is less important. And Paul says, it doesn't matter how unimportant I am, even if I'm just the drink offering on that offering. And so he talks about himself again with this humility that he's seeking to model for the church. And then he gives two models of humility. These two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Say that with me, okay? Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus? Okay. Then when you read it, people will be impressed because you just read right over it because you got it down. Epaphroditus. Paul had three issues when he wrote this letter. The first one was thanks for the gift, and he'll get to that in chapter 4. The second issue was their concern about the news that he was in prison and he might die. He dealt with that in chapter 1. And the third issue was this disunity in chapter 4 between the two women. And so he's sending two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy is about to go to bring the news about Paul to them, what's happening with Paul, and also to bring news about them back to Paul. And then Epaphroditus was the one who brought this gift, this support for Paul and uh, while he was in prison. And now Epaphroditus is going to return back. He was from the church of Philippi and he was going to go back to Philippi. But as Paul writes about these two men, what I want you to notice is that he's very careful to choose wording that reinforces the attitude that he wants from the Philippians to bring about agreement and unity. Because here's our key sentence this morning. The unity of the gospel comes through humility. Unity of the gospel comes through humility. So let's read about Timothy, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. You pick that up there. What does he admire about Timothy? What does he, what does he remind them of about Timothy? That he, that Timothy would be someone who would be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's further defined as looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the opposite of uh, chapter 
1 or uh, verse 21, other people seek their own interests. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so Paul knows that he can send Timothy, and he picks out of Timothy that humble attitude that he wants everybody at the church of Philippi to have. He wants to send Timothy, as soon as I see how it will go with me, I expect the decision to come from the Caesar pretty soon, and when that comes, I'm going to send Timothy so he will be able to tell you what's going on. But he also says, these issues that I'm writing about in this letter are so urgent and so important, even though he says, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also, but you need to know what's going on in this letter. You need to know this, and you need to respond to this letter. And then verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you, you practiced, okay, Epaphroditus, okay, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him and not not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul describes Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger. There is a, a a hint here that maybe the church back at Philippi thought that because Epaphroditus got sick that he'd failed in his mission. And Paul wants to assure him, no, he succeeded in his mission, and he commends him. It seems that Epaphroditus was ill, near to death. God had mercy on him and mercy on Paul that he didn't die. And no, But notice the way that Paul describes him. He has been longing for you all. He's been longing for you, Syntyche. He's been longing for you, Yodia. For you all, he knows no division in his care for them. He nearly died for the work of Christ. And I'm convinced that Paul is saying this because he knows that if Yodia and Syntyche would focus on the work of Christ, that whatever their disagreement is, it would fade into insignificance. What if the disagreeers in the church had that same attitude that they were willing to die for the sake of the gospel? Wouldn't the gospel advance then? The humility of the Apostle Paul. I was reminded in uh, what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Look at his humility. Now I know, but I only know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Or Proverbs 12:15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So, as we've gone through chapter 1 and chapter 2, we've seen humility in Paul, we've seen it in Jesus, we've seen it in Timothy, we've seen it in Epaphroditus. And humility means we put the interests of others ahead of our own. Now, You may be able to guess the answer to this question. When do you think I most frequently think about being humble? When I'm getting ready to preach a sermon on it. That's when I think about it a lot. And that tells me that that reminders work. Reminders work. Reminders help. So, 
what if I had reminders around me more frequently? What if you did? What if you did a, a word search in the Bible on, on the word humble or on humility? And you printed out some of those verses and you, you put them on places that you go frequently. Put them on your mirror. Put them on, on your car dashboard. Put them on the refrigerator. Are those places you go frequently? I'm just picking out, guessing on, on where you might put those. And then pray and ask God to remind you to be humble. Will I pray for it? If I will pray for it, will he do it? Because again, unity for the gospel comes from humility, submission. So what does that kind of humble look like in me? What does humble look like in a pastor after he's preached a sermon? Warren Wiersbe used to say that standing at the door greeting people as they went out, which I don't do for this reason, he would describe it as it's the glorification of the worm. I, I like that idea because, uh, you know, when people come by, they tend to just say very nice things. Not specific, but nice things. That was a great sermon, Pastor. Thanks for the sermon. A wonderful sermon. Um, what does humble look like when people are saying those kinds of things? What does humble look like in that? Giving honor to the Lord. What does humble look like when you're standing in the express checkout line, which says eight items and somebody has 14 items? What does humble look like when you're standing in that line? What does humble look like when you have an unreasonable customer who is complaining? Is it possible to be a salesman and close a deal and still be humble? What does humble look like in a parent when their child does what's wrong? What does humble look like in a husband listening to his wife or kids tell about their day? The humility for the gospel, or the unity for the gospel comes from humility. What would help us in humility? Let me give you several things that I think would help us. You can just jot down the key words and key words will be on the screen, I think. One of them is, I am convinced, I believe, that God is in charge. If I believe that God is in charge, that helps me stay humble. If I'm convinced, that God is in control and He knows what's going on. Now, how do I know that I'm not in control? How do I know that you're not in control? Because my guess is almost every one of you give up control every night when you go to bed and go to sleep. We're not in control when we go to sleep. That's, that's, that's pretty obvious. We're not in control when we go to sleep. And yet, what does the Bible say about God? Never slumbers. He doesn't even doze. He doesn't even doze off. But we, Give up that control. Another way, uh, another way that we are reminded of that we're not in control is where hair grows on our bodies. Because doesn't it grow where you don't want it to grow as you get older? And doesn't it not grow where you do want it to grow? I mean, doesn't that just show you we're not in charge? We are not in control of our own bodies. Another thing that I think really helps us is like Jesus, if I would release my rights. So many people in our culture today, I have the rights, I have the right to this, my, I demand my rights. What if we release our rights? We trust God, just like Jesus did. Another one is, if I care more about advancing the gospel than what I want, that helps me to be humble. I'm more concerned about the gospel advancing than it is getting what I want. If I believe that what I have is by grace and it's not deserved, that keeps me humble. 
Everything that I have is by God's grace. The health that I have, the health that my wife has up till this point, it's, it's by God's grace. And if I remember that I'm fallible, that God may be trying to use this person to speak to me, to speak about this person or this situation. And I th- the final one that I put up here is that when I pray God's best for another person, that's, that's seeking their best above my own. When I pray that God will so bless you and provide for you and multiply his blessings on you, that helps me keep in my own place. And I think what Paul would say here is, Yodia, I forget, were you Yodia or were you Syntyche? It doesn't matter. It's the opposite side. These two elders just don't get along at all. Uh, so I'm, I'm asking you, if you would pray for God's best for that one that you're having disagreement with, and Syntyche, if you would pray for God's best for Yodia over here, do you know what that would do? What would that do for that unity? What would that do for that? The unity to advance the gospel comes from humility. Let's pray. Father, as much as it is within us, we humble ourselves before you. Give us the grace to submit to you and to your mighty hand. Have mercy on us in our battle with pride and arrogance and self-interest. Help us not put up with, but help us to put to death anything that puts self ahead of you or others. Show us that we are helpless without you, that your Spirit desires that we be humble and that we walk only in your mercy. Help us to walk with meekness and lowly spirit so that not the greatest of me, but the greatness and sweetness of Jesus is known wherever I am. I ask this in Jesus' name.